Good evening, everybody, and welcome to my third podcast. I am learning right now, enlighten our eyes. with joy. We are in the midst of learning about the fundamentals within the Sefer, enlighten our eyes. Rav Ochanan Wasserman Zatzal, Rav Uvin Dave Dessler Zatzal, Rav Elia Lepian Zatzal, and the author of Kelm Zatzal. Rav Ochanan Wasserman Zatzal acquired the habit of going with head bent in order not to look beyond his Daladamas. So did Rav Uvin Dave Dessler Zatzal, that exemplar of Kelm Musser and father of the famed Rav Elio Eliezer Dessler Zatzal, Rav Elia Lepian Zatzal, would never turn his head to the right or the left when in the street. The altar of Kalmzatzal was known to have complete mastery over all his bodily movements. His eyes never looked to the sides. You could have thought they were nailed in position. Rav Shimon Shkapzatzal. When Rav Shimon Shkapzatzal went for a walk, went for walks with his Talmidim in the summertime, they noticed that if a person's shadow would fall across his path, he would pause and wait for it to pass in case it was a woman. Rav Yerucham Levavitz Zatzal. It once happened in the Mir Yeshiva in Europe that a couple of Bachrim slipped out of a lengthy seder illegally. No one noticed that they were soon out in the sunshine where they suddenly noticed the Mashgiach, Rav Yerucham Levavitz Zatzal, walking straight towards them. They were afraid of questioning and a reprimand, but the eldest of the group allayed their fears. Just follow me, he whispered. Stepping slightly to the side and with the others close at his heels, he strode straight past the mashgiach without incident. I just knew that in the street he would never raise his eyes off the ground, he explained to his mightily relieved companions. The Vilna Gainzatzal. The Vilna Gainzatzal from the age of Bar Mitzvah never glanced outside his Daladamas. When he needed to go out into the street, he first reviewed the Mesilas Yisharim chapter on Zahiros, watchfulness, 13 times over. The legacy of our holy tzaddikim is truly awesome and inspiring. I'm going to continue with with Kitzur Hilchas Shabbos. And I am also dedicating tonight's share to Avraham Michal ben Sarah for Refor Shalema, Yisrael ben Karen Devaira for Refor Shalema, Avraham and Avraham for Refor Shalema, Hil Yehuda ben Elka for a Asmada Dekel Life and for Liba Gittel Bas Shena Malka for a complete recovery from her illness. Okay, I am up to number five, I think, in in Kiddush. Kiddush in the place of a Shabbos meal. Kiddush Makim Suda. Kiddush Hayyim. Kemayshi Eshchiyov Kaddish Balayla. Just like there is a chiyov to make Kiddush at night, so to by day there is a chiyov to make Kiddush. Before you eat, and even though the Kiddush of the daytime is, is only a derabanan, even so, shave of the Kiddush alayla. It's it's dinim are the exact same as the one from the night. Vahainu shakol dinei kais shetia kiddush b'makim suda ve'isur te'ima kodem akiddush and amarim bekiddush alayla noyagim gan kain bekiddush ayayim. How do we know this? Because everything that said the all the halachas that are negiah to kiddush alayla uh, we also do by kiddush because all the we also do them by kiddush ayayim. For example. For example, um, for for example, drinking. Um, I'm also making kiddush instead of a meal, and the prohibition of tasting foods before kiddush. All these things are already mentioned by kiddush alayla. So too that we have to, we have the same stringencies for the daytime suda. I mean, even so, befrat achar befrat achar yeshchiluk, and even so, there is a difference. In other places, but for example, if somebody doesn't have wine, or it's difficult for him to drink wine, even though at nighttime we already wrote that you should make Kiddush on bread, 
ve'en mekatsim al chomer, and you're not allowed to make al chomer medina, and you're not allowed to make um kiddush on the on on the alcohol of the country. For example, if you live in Russia, it would be it would be um, vodka, and some places it would be beer. Depends on where you live. Um, right, so he goes on to say that what we're talking about is a drink that is found and they're used to using it in the place where you live. It's different from Kiddush during the day. So, so that Allah of, 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 of making Kiddush at night on Pass, if you don't have wine and then you're not allowed to make it on Chaymer Medina, that halacha does not carry over to the daytime. Because in the daytime you're you're not supposed to make kiddush on pass, but you should make it on lechem medina. Sheikar kiddush ayayim who amiras bayer piyar gafen oishahakal lechem medina because the ikar of making kiddush during the daytime is on the as on the saying of the bracha of bayer piyar gafen or shahakal if you are making it on lechem medina. Alkein nikar kiddush araba v'lashin sagi naor avirchas amaytzi shetzarich laimra belavachi. But um, I think he's saying over here that um, the Baberch HaSamaytzi, which you have to say um, regardless, it cannot be looked at as something that can be said for Kiddush. Okay, let's see if I said this right. Um... The day Kiddush. Just as there is an obligation to make Kiddush at night, there is also an obligation to make Kiddush by day and to do so before one eats. Although, although the day Kiddush is definitely only a rabbinical obligation, nevertheless, it has all the same laws as the night Kiddush. That is, all the laws concerning the Kiddush cup, the drinking Kiddush in the place of a meal and the prohibition to taste any food or drink before Kiddush, which were said about the night and the difference, which were said about the night Kiddush, apply to the day Kiddush as well. However, in one detail, there is a difference. Regarding one who does not have wine, or it is difficult for them to make Kiddush on bread, and should not make Kiddush on it, um, or it is difficult for him to drink wine, although we have already written that by night, he should then make Kiddush on bread, and should not make Kiddush on Chaymer Medina, a conventional drink, that is a readily available beverage that is commonly consumed in that place. The day Kiddush is different. Here one should not make Kiddush on bread, but one can make Kiddush on Chaymer Medina. That is because the main part of the day Kiddush is saying the bracha of Bayer Piyagofen or Shahakal on Chaymer Medina. That is why it is called Kiddush Rabbah, the great Kiddush. A euphemism for a small Kiddush. Just as in Gemara, a blind person is called a Sage Nar, having abundant vision. But with the bracha of Hamaiti, which one needs to say anyway, it would not be recognizable that it is being said for the purpose of Kiddush. Again, I basically said it right. And we did skip one. Um, Kiddush Makam Suda. When you make Kiddush in place of a Shabbos meal, and I think that's the one that I was that I was going to say before, but instead I went to Kiddush Hayyim. Kiddush Makam Suda. Ain't Kiddush Makam Suda. There's no Kiddush in a place of a Suda. The Hainush ain't Yotzim be Kiddushim ain't Oichlim Achar Kiddush. And of course, um, it's obvious that we are not that we are not Yotze, that we're not allowed to eat. That we're not um, yaitze kiddush if we don't have if we don't have anything to eat after the kiddush. And 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 eating when you're ready to eat that food, it has to dafka be in a place where you made kiddush. In the hafsik ben kiddush lachila medvar machem, and you're not allowed you're not allowed to do anything between hearing kiddush or saying kiddush and the eating, and so you're not allowed to do other things. V'chein aser the kaddish makem echon al das lecho b'makem acher. So therefore, it's usher to make Kiddush in one place with the intention of eating someplace else. Let's say um, it's at a time when, when they don't have a choice, when they're in a rush, and they have to make Kiddush in one place, and they cannot eat in that place, only in another, only the place we're going, for example, a woman, who who sits in the, who is eating in the house and she hears kiddush from the sukkah? Yes, It's a question. In which achila are we yotze according to the din with kiddush in the place of a suda? So you have to have at least a kizayis of a piece of bread 
or at least a kazayas of a, of a cake or a cookie. Let's say, and even if you can even drink, um, if you drink a, a revis of wine, that's also considered kiddush makim suda. But the question, but there's a machlekes if the if the if the revis that we are talking about over here is aside, is besides for the wine of the kiddush, which means that you would have to make kiddush right, and you'd have to drink that. And there's a machlekes whether whether that would be enough to have to be kiddush makim suda, or you would have to go ahead and drink another um, revis from a cup of wine. In order to have a full kiddush makim suda, as ayichaydim gam latzei sim shtayim im shtias kaisa kiddush, or right, so that's the machlekes, or you can be yaitza with just the drinking of the cup from kiddush. Yesh machlekes in them as a gam be kiddush alayla, and there's also machlekes if we can do the same thing by kiddush of the night. Okay, um, kiddush in the place of a Shabbos meal, one cannot make kiddush except in the place of a Shabbos meal, meaning. One does not fulfill the mitzvah of Kiddush unless one eats after the Kiddush. And that eating has to be specifically in the location where the Kiddush was said. One should not interrupt with other things between the Kiddush and the eating. And it is also forbidden to make Kiddush in one location with the intention of eating in another location. In a pressing situation where one needs to make Kiddush in one location and is not able to eat there, but only in another location. For example, a woman who is eating in the house and is hearing Kiddush in the sukkah, one should present the question to a Rav. With that, with what type of eating does one fulfill this rule of Kiddush in the place of a meal? By eating a Kezayis, the volume of an olive of bread, or at least a Kezayis of Mezayinus, such as cake, cookies, matzah balls, etc. Also, by drinking a Revis of wine, one may fulfill this rule. There is a difference of opinions amongst the Paiskim as to whether this Revis has to be besides the wine of the Kiddush, or one is able to fulfill it by drinking the whole cup of Kiddush itself. And there's also a difference of opinions whether or not that is said even concerning the night Kiddush. We shall stop here. We are officially up to Zion. Okay, try to remember. We shall try to remember. Okay. Be'ezrat Hashem. Here up to purity of speech. Purity of speech, day number, day number. Oh my goodness, I gotta open up all my star before I start because otherwise I go. Ah, okay. We're up to day number 40. Ravzev lived in a small town in Eastern Europe where a dispute broke out over who would be the Shaykhet. The Shaykhet, by the way, is a slaughterer. The town's air was heavy with bitterness and Lashon Hara. Ravzev tried his utmost to distance himself from the arguments and discussions. However, one day, a business partner tried to pressure him to take sides in the dispute. Rebzev and his wife agreed that they couldn't remain in the town without being affected by the Mechlaikas. Even though it was Thursday and Shabbos was coming, they packed their bags and left the town. They gave up their successful business, friends and neighbors, and moved away. Sometime after this incident, World War II broke out. The Nazis did not conquer the village where Rebzev had moved to. Unfortunately, his neighbors from the previous town were taken to Auschwitz, and only a few people returned. Reb Zev credits his deliverance from the Nazis to his decision to leave a place of dispute. Hashem despises Machlaikis, the only keli that can hold bracha is shalom. If we think into it, true blessing cannot exist where there is name-calling, fighting, gossiping, and sinas chinam. If people will look at each other with a good eye, then how much Machlaikis and Lashon Hara will be avoided? and how much shalom and bracha will be showered upon Klal Yisrael. Looking back, 50 years later, Hashem greatly repaid Reb Zev. He has children and many grandchildren who are great Talmidei Chachamim, spreading Torah to Klal Yisrael and promoting shalom in the world. Halacha and practice, revelation of confidential information. Also included in forbidden speech is revealing confidential information, repeating a secret. If someone tells you a secret, even if it does not include any Lashon Hara, and tells you not to repeat it, it is usher to repeat it. This is forbidden even though it is difficult to comprehend why the person is so secretive about the matter. For example, your friend warns you, Don't tell anyone that I brought the suit on sale. Although you don't understand your friend's desire for secrecy, it is nevertheless usher to repeat it. Even if a friend does not tell you explicitly, 
Don't repeat what I told you. But it is obvious that the information is private, and most people would not want such information to be spread, then it is usher to repeat it. For example, someone confides in you. I am so worried about my sister, since she's been feeling weak lately. My mother has taken her to a specialist for her major testing. Even though the person didn't say, don't tell anyone, it is forbidden to repeat it because it is obvious that this, person, that this is private information. The Chavetz Chaim adds that repeating a secret is even worse than speaking of Akhlash and Hara. Why? Because by doing so, you are going against the wishes of the one who confided in you. Furthermore, revealing a private matter falls under the category of a serious breach in the Midah of Tznias. Oh, boy, that caught me off guard a little bit. Tznias. Okay. Spirit, um, right now I'm learning from the Garden of Gratitude. Chapter 3, it's all for the best. Spiritual awareness mitigates suffering. As mentioned in the beginning of the chapter, spiritual awareness mitigates the suffering of this world. Anyone who attains the level of spiritual awareness that everything is for the best does not suffer. This often painful material world is so much more bearable, even enjoyable, when we are able to accept everything that transpires in our lives with love. Accepting Hashem's rule with humility Accepting Hashem's rule with humility. There is a deep significance in thanking Hashem for the seemingly bad in a person's life. When a person thanks Hashem for the good in his life, he expresses his appreciation for this good, making the statement that he doesn't take Hashem's loving kindness for granted. But when a person thanks Hashem for the less desired occurrences and life's difficulties, he makes an even stronger statement that he lovingly and unconditionally accepts Hashem's sovereignty. Love and unconditional acceptance of whatever Hashem does is a most, is a most admirable fulfillment of Jewish law. Shulchan Aruch Arachayim 2.22.3, which states, A person is obligated to say a blessing on the seemingly bad wholeheartedly, just as he would say a blessing on the good. In other words, such a person accepts Hashem's providence completely. This is a true expression of humility and the foundation of spiritual awareness. Nothing mitigates harsh, judge, harsh judgments like humility. Our sages teach that by accepting life's tribulations and suffering willfully and with humility, we don't feel any pain from them. In Rabbi Nachman's famous tale, The Master of Prayer, there was a warrior who would go around conquering lands, but with no desire for spoils or pay. All he wanted was that the locals should surrender to his domination. Once they surrendered, he was content. The warrior is allegorical for din, the attribute of strict justice or stern judgment. As soon as a person humbles himself, the attribute of strict justice is immediately mollified and leaves the person alone. A prime reason that stern judgment befalls a person in the first place is to humble that person. Accepting the stern judgment while expressing gratitude with a full heart is a true manifestation of humility which has the power to mitigate those judgments and invokes, and invokes salvation. The opposite also holds true. Someone who fails to accept suffering with humility cannot and will not express gratitude with a full heart. Therefore, he has not humbled himself before Hashem. His, con his discontent with Hashem's judgments is not only an unwillingness to accept the suffering, but a statement of protest, even rebellion against Hashem. Such a person is in effect declaring, God forbid, Hashem, I don't think that your judgments are fair. I don't like the way you are running the world. Needless to say, such an attitude not only makes his suffering all the more unbearable, but it invokes even more suffering. One who cries and complains about suffering, especially in light of the fact that Hashem does everything for a person's ultimate welfare, can expect more suffering. Hashem says to such a person, you're complaining when I'm actually doing everything for your ultimate best? Now I'll give you a real reason to complain. In contrast, when a person thanks Hashem with humility for his difficulties in life, Hashem says, You're thanking me for these tribulations? Now I'll give you a real reason to thank me. Soon the humble and thankful person experiences miraculous redemption. We shall now move on to the Tanya. Tanya, Tanya, Tanya. 
but it's not that Tanya. That Tanya is a different Tanya. Um, this Tanya that we are going to learn today is quite a long one, it seems. Let's see. Wow. This is long. Oh my goodness. It's the whole chapter too. Can I know her? Okay. The nefesh hashenis bi Yisrael he chelak lekami mal mamish. The second uniquely Jewish soul is truly a part of God above. A part of God above is a quotation from Scripture from Eiv thirty one two. The Alter Rebbe adds the word truly to stress the literal meaning of these words. For as it is known, some verses employ hyperbolic language. For example, the verse describing great and fortified cities reaching into the heavens is clearly meant to be taken figuratively, not literally, in order that we should not interpret the phrase a part of God above in a similar manner. The Alter adds the word truly, thus emphasizing that the Jewish soul is quite literally a part of God above. As it is written concerning Adam, whose soul was a comprehensive one, and Neshama Klalis, in that it contained all the particular souls of subsequent generations, and he blew into his nostrils a soul of life. And as we say in prayer concerning the soul of every individual Jew, you blew into me. The significance of the verb to blow, as it relates to the infusion of the Jewish soul, is now explained. It is written in the Zayar, He who blows, blows from within him. That is to say, from his inwardness and his innermost being. For it is of his inward and innermost vitality that a man emits through blowing with force. Blowing tires a person much more quickly than speaking. Okay, let me repeat that. <laughs> Blowing tires a person much more quickly than speaking, as is readily observed, for it requires a greater exertion of effort and vitality. Hence, the fact that the metaphor of blowing is used to describe God's implanting the Jew's soul in his body signifies that this soul originates in the innermost aspect of godliness. That is, that the Jew is rooted in God's innermost and essential being is indicated Further, by the designation of the Jewish people as God's children, whose souls originate in his thought, whose souls originate in his thought, just as a child stems from his father's brain, as the Alter Rebbe explains presently. So too, allegorically speaking, have Jewish souls risen in the divine thought. The Jew has his source in divine thought. The innermost level of godliness, all other created beings, even angels, are rooted in and created by divine speech. Speech is external in comparison with thought. As it is written regarding the Jewish nation, Israel is my firstborn son. And concerning Jews as individuals, you are children unto God your Lord. That is to say, for example, the significance of the Jews being called God's child is that just as a child is derived from its father's brain, its inner as is an essential being, its inner as is an essential being, so too, to use an anthropomorphism, is the soul of every Jew derived from God's thought and wisdom. Now, the Rebbe now takes this concept a step further. Deriving from God's thought and wisdom actually implies that it derives from God Himself, as he goes on to explain. The Ihu Chachim Chakim Veloi Bechachma Yidia Elohu Echad, for he is wise. God possesses the quality of wisdom, but not with a wisdom that is known to us created beings, because he and his wisdom are one. And as Maimonides writes, he is knowledgeable and simultaneously the knower, who knows and comprehends through the knowledge, and he is that which is known. God is also the subject of knowledge, 
and comprehension, as Maimonides concludes, this means that God's wisdom and comprehension are totally different from men's. In human comprehension, there are three separate and distinct components. A, the person's soul, the knower, and possessor of knowledge. B, the power of intellect and comprehension, the knowledge by which the person knows. C, the subject of the knowledge, the known, such as a law in the Mishnah or a discussion in the Gemara which is apprehended and known. Concerning God's wisdom, however, Maimonides states, He is the knowledge, He is the knowledge, He is the knower and the known. God is the means of comprehension. The knowledge, and at the same time, is He who understands, the knower, and is also that which is understood, the known. Maimonides continues, and this is not within the power of any man to comprehend clearly. As it is written, can you find and understand God by searching? And it is also written, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God, and consequently, your human thoughts cannot possibly comprehend my thoughts. Since his wisdom is one with God himself, as has been shown, it follows that the Jewish soul, which stems from divine wisdom as stated above, actually derives from God himself. Many Jewish philosophers rejected Maimonides' description of God as the knower, the knowledge, and the known. In fact, they considered it erroneous to ascribe to God a description of any sort. Even if the even of the lofty level of intellect of which Maimonides writes, inasmuch as description implies limitation and God is inherently limitless. The Alter Rebbe therefore points out in his note that the Kabbalists agreed with Maimonides with the qualification that his concept does not apply to God's essence, for his essence is truly infinite, even higher than the inscrutable level of knowledge that Maimonides refers to. Regarding his essence, those who disagree with Maimonides are correct in maintaining that God cannot be defined in terms of knowledge since he transcends it infinitely. Only after God limits the infinite light of his essence through the process of tzimtzum, progressive contractions, and thereby assumes an attribute, the attribute of chachma, wisdom, only then can it be said of God that he is the knower, knowledge, and known. Hagah. Note, the Kabbalists above have agreed with him that God can be described as knower, knowledge, and known, as stated in, in the Pardes of Rabbi Moshe Kordavero. Even according to the Kabbalah, of the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory, Maimonides' statement stands. The Kabbalah of the Arizal provides an even deeper insight into the limitlessness of God's essence, higher than even that level of knowledge to which Maimonides refers. Still, even according to the teachings of the Arizal, Maimonides' statement is acceptable, with one prov- provisio, however. Beside his lapsus are ein saif baruch rabim, this is so only when applied to the mystic principle of the clothing of the Ein Saif light by means of numerous contractions, Tzimtzumim. In the vessels of the spheres of Chabad, Chabad and Akram of Chachma, Bina and Das, wisdom, understanding and knowledge, respectively. The triad of spheres, which represent divine intellect of the world of Atzilus, emanation. Through a process of self-limitation called Tzimtzum, contraction, God manifests, or in Kabbalistic terminology, clothes his infinite essence referred to by the Kabbalists as Ein Saif, the endless, infinite one, in the Sephirahs, which are his attributes. The manifestation occurs first in Atzilus, specifically in Chabad of Atzilus, divine intellect. Thus, as the level of Atzilus, thus, at the level of Atzilus, God can indeed be defined in Maimonides' terms of Knower, knowledge, and known. We're going to have to... Yeah, this is the first time around. There's no way I understood that. But not higher than Atzilus. Above the world of Atzilus, the unknowable God cannot be defined. Accordingly, in terms of the Kabbalistic scale, Maimonides had nothing to say about God except from the world of Atzilus and down. As explained elsewhere, the Ein Saif, blessed be he, is infinitely 
exalted over and transcends the essence and level of Chabad. In fact, the level of Chabad is regarded as being equally inferior as material action in relation to him. Thus it is written, you have made them all with wisdom, you have conceived them all with wisdom, would seem more appropriate. Conceiving, not making, is surely the proper function of God's wisdom. You have made them all with wisdom, indicates, however, that to God... Wisdom, the highest level within the worlds, is as lowly as a, as Asiya, the, the lowest level. End of note, end of Agav. The Atta Rebbe now addresses a difficulty arising from his previous statement that every soul emanates from divine wisdom. Since all souls emanate from one source, supernal wisdom, it should follow that all souls are of the same level and rank. Yeah, my question. How then do the various levels of ranks found in Jewish souls come about? It's true. There are myriads of different gradations of souls in the Shamais, rank upon rank, ad infinitum. For example, the souls of the patriarchs and of Moses, our teacher, are by far superior to the souls of our own generations, which belong to the period preceding the coming, literally, the heels, the footsteps of the Mashiach. For the latter souls are like the very soles of the feet in comparison with the brain and the head. Just as the life force found in the soles of the feet cannot possibly be compared to that found in the head and brain, so too can there be no comparison between the souls of these present generations and those souls here called the head and brain of earlier generations. Similarly, within each generation we find the same disparity among neshamais. There are those who are the heads of the leader. There are those who are the heads, the leaders of the multitude of Israel so designated because their souls are in the category of head and brain, in comparison with those of the masses and the ignorant. Likewise, there are similar distinctions between nefeshes and nefeshes, the soul levels of nefesh, for every soul consists of nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Just as the soul level of neshama varies from one Jew to another, so too do the levels of ruach and nefesh. Thus we see how manifold are the differences in the ranks of souls. Accordingly, we would expect similar variations in their divine sources. The greater the soul, the higher its source. Nevertheless, the root of every nefesh, ruach, and neshama, from the highest of all ranks to the lowest, the lowest being those souls embodied within the illiterate and the most light-minded of light-minded Jews. All are derived, as it were, from the supreme mind, which is Chachma, Ilah, supernal wisdom. In order to help us better understand why the levels of individual souls vary so widely, despite their common source, the Alter Rebbe now returns to the analogy of a father and son, used earlier to illustrate the description of Jews as God's children who are derived from Chachma Ilah, God's brain as it were. An explanation in brief. In the analogy we observe that the child's entire body is derived from a drop of semen originating in its father's brain. Yet the many physical components which constitute the child's body are by no means uniform. They vary greatly from the brain, the highest component to the nails of the feet, the lowest. These radical differences come about through the presence of the drop of semen in the mother's womb during the nine months of gestation. It is this period of physical development that produces the, different, the differences between one organ and another. The more materialized a particular component of the drop becomes, the more it diverges from its original state and becomes an entity with its own unique physical characteristics. We thus observe that though all the organs share a common source, Nevertheless, in the process of development, there arise differences as radical as that between brain and nails. 
Another matter evident from the analogy, though the nails are the most insignificant part of the child's body, they are still bound and united with their first source, the father's brain. For like the other parts of the child's body, the nails too receive their nourishment and life from its brain. Since the child's brain retains the essence of its source, the father's brain, and is thus constantly bound to its source, even the nails are therefore bound up with their original source. The same is true regarding souls. All souls are derived from the same source and root, from Chachma Ilah. But the soul must descend therefrom through a multitude of worlds and levels before clothing itself in a physical body. It is this descent that creates changes in the soul's level and differences between one soul and another. For one soul is affected by this descent to a greater degree than another. The second aspect of the analogy too applies here. Although a soul may descend to the very lowest of levels, it is still bound up and unified with its original source in Chachmeilah. In the analogy, the nails remain bound to the father's brain through the unity with the son's brain. Similarly, these souls of the lowest level remain bound to their source in Chachmeilah through their attachment to the souls of the righteous and the sages of their generation, from whom they receive their spiritual nourishment. Even when in this physical world, souls of a higher level analogous to the child's brain, retain the spiritual level of their source, the level of head and brain, and through these levels, even the souls of lower levels remain bound and unified with their source within God. This briefly is what the Alter Rebbe goes on to explain. The manner of the soul's descent is analogous to a child who is derived from his father's brain. Even the nails of his feet come into existence from the very same drop of semen which comes from the father's brain. How then were nails created from it? By being in the mother's womb for nine months, descending degree by degree, changing continually until even the nails are formed from it. Though the child's organs are all derived from the same source, the drop of semen which comes from the father's brain, yet they develop into entities as radically diverse as the brain and the nails. Furthermore, although the drop has been so altered as to become the substance of the child's nails, yet it is still bound to and united in a wondrous and mighty unity with its original essence and being, namely the drop of semen as it came from the father's brain. Even now, in the sun, the nails receive their nourishment and life from the brain that is in his head. The nails derive their life from the child's brain, which in turn retains the substance of its source the brain of the father. Thus, the nails too are bound up through the brain of the son with the father's brain. Evidence is now brought that the nails remain bound to the father's brain. As it is written in the Gemara Nida, in the same place as before, from the wide of the father's drop of semen are formed the veins, the bones, and the nails of the child. According to the Kabbalah, too, there is a connect. There is a connection between the nails and the brain, and shall be presently as shall be presently stated. It is likewise stated in connection with the esoteric principle of Adam's garments in the Garden of Eden. That they, that they the garments or of nails derived from the cognitive faculty of the brain. Exactly so as it were, is the case with regard to every nefesh roch and neshama in the community of Israel on high. The soul too is changed from its original state by a process of development similar to the gestation, which transforms the drop of semen in the case of the soul. However, this process consists of a descent from world to world and from level to level within each world, as mentioned briefly above. The Alter Rebbe will now go on to state the details of this descent. Specifically, the soul passes through four spiritual worlds, 
in its descent from the supernal wisdom of the human body. These worlds, or stages in the creative process, are in, the, are in descending order, Atzilus, the world of emanation, Bria, the world of creation, Yitzira, the world of formation, and Asiya, the world of action. They are written acrostically as Abiya, pronounced Abiya, like I just said, Abiya. The function and significance of these worlds will be clarified further in the Tanya. For the moment, a brief explanation will suffice. Atzilus, emanation, is a world where the Ain Saif light radiates, so that Atzilus is in effect the godliness itself transplanted, so to speak, to a lower level. This takes place by means of Tzimtzum. For this reason, Atzilus is still united with its source, Ain Saif. These two characteristics of Atzilus are indicated in its very name. The word Atzilus is etymologically related to two roots. A, the verb Atzil, meaning to delegate. As in the verse, I, God, shall delegate something of your, Moses' spirit, and place it upon them, the seventy elders. The verse is saying then that the spirit of prophecy possessed by the seventy elders was merely an extension of Moses' spirit, not something new and separate from him. Similarly, the properties of Atzilus are extensions, on a lower level, of the Ein Saif. B. Atzilus is also related to the word Etzel, meaning near, thus, thus indicating the unity of Atzilus with its source. The world of, Be- of, Be- of Berea, creation, as its name implies, is a creation, not divinity itself. It is the first creation to come about in a manner of Yesh Me'ayin, Creatio Ex Nihilo, from Ayin, nothingness, there comes about a yesh, a definite state of existence. Berea, however, represents merely the passage out of non-existence. It is a state in creation which cannot yet be spoken of as giving rise to proper existence, definable in terms of form and structure. Yetzira, formation, is the world where that which was created from ayin assumes shape and form. The world of Asiya refers to the completed creation, Understandably, this completed creation is still spiritual. The final world of creation, physical Asiya, comprising our physical world with all its creatures, comes into being only at a later stage. Together, these worlds form the Seder Heishtalshalos, the chain-like order of descent, so designated because just as the lowest link in a chain is connected to the highest by means of all the interlocking links, similarly, is the say in the Seder Ishtalshalos, the lowest level in Asiya is connected to the highest level in, in the, to the highest level in Atsilos. All the levels interlock and flow from each other. In the course of its descent from the from Chachmal Ilah, supernal wisdom, the highest level in Atsilos, to the physical body, the soul passes through the entire Seder Ishtalshalos. And as related earlier, this descent produces the various levels of souls. Just as gestation causes the drop of semen to be transformed into the child's bodily organs, even to the point where it is formed into nails, after this introduction, we return to the Alter Rebbe's words. By the souls descending degree by degree through the Yishtalshalos of the world of Atsilus, Beria, Yitzira, and Asiya from God's wisdom. As it is written, you have made them all with wisdom. Chachma, i.e. everything emanates from Chachma, which is the source of all Ishtashlos. Through this descent, the Nefesh Ruach and Neshama of the ignorant and least worthy comes into being. Their souls were most strongly affected by this descent and therefore they are on the lowest level. Similarly, all the various levels of higher and lower souls are determined by the soul's descent through Ishtashlos. Some souls are affected to a greater degree, others less. The Alter Rebbe now relates the second point in the analogy to our our case. Just as in the analogy, the nails of the child are still bound up with their first source through their being constantly nurtured by the child's brain, so too in the case of the soul. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the fact that they have already become souls of the lower levels, the souls of the ignorant and the least worthy, 
they, these lesser souls, remain bound and united with a wonderful and mighty unity with their original essence, namely, an extension of Chachmei Law, supernal wisdom. For the nurture and life in the Nefesh Ruach and Neshama of the ignorant are drawn from the Nefesh Ruach and Neshama of the righteous and the sages, the heads of Israel in their generation. By drawing their nurture and life from those who represent the levels of head and brain, all Jews are bound up with their source in Chachmei Ilah, supernal wisdom. This explains the comment of our sages on the verse. And cleave unto him, concerning with which the question arises, how can mortal man cleave to God? In answer, our sages comment, he who cleaves unto a Torah scholar is deemed by the Torah to have actually become attached to the Shekhinah and Divine Presence. This seems difficult to comprehend. How can one equate cleaving to a Torah scholar with cleaving to the Shekhinah? However, in light of the above, this is readily understood. For through attachment to the scholars... The nefesh, ruach, and neshama of the ignorant are bound up and unified with their original essence and their root in supernal wisdom. And thereby with God himself, since he and his wisdom are one, and he is the knowledge. As for those who willfully sin and rebel against the Torah, sages, how do they receive their spiritual nurture and life? Spiritual life and nurture flow only where there is desire, where there is a desire to nurture and give life. In answer to this, the text continues. The nurture of their nefesh ruach and neshama comes from the, bind, from the hind part, as it were, of the nefesh ruach and neshama of the scholars. Nurture from the hind part can be understood by way of comparison to one who gives an object to his enemy. Obviously, not out of a true desire to give, but rather due to some external factor. The grudging reluctance with which he gives will be reflected in his manner. In his manner, he will turn away from him, tossing the object to his enemy over his shoulder. The same is true in the physical, in the, in the spiritual sphere. When spiritual nurture is given unwillingly, it is described as coming from the hind part of the giver, an external level of nurture. Nevertheless, even those who rebel against the sages receive some measure of spiritual nourishment from them. For every soul, without exception, must be bound up with its root and source. As explained earlier, the level of nurture they receive is, however, however, is from the hind part of the souls of the sages. Having concluded that every Jew has a soul, has a holy soul, which emanates from above, from supernal wisdom, the Alter Rebbe now states that even the quality, the rank or level of each individual soul is determined only by factors from above, spiritual factors such as the souls above mentioned descent through Ishtashlos. No actions of this physical world can determine its quality and rank. The Alter Rebbe makes this statement indirectly by clarifying a quotation from the Zayar which seems to indicate the contrary. As for what is written in the Zayar and in Zayar and the Zayar Chadash, that the essential factor is to conduct oneself in a holy manner during sexual union, which is not the case with the children of the ignorant and their ilk, who did not conduct themselves thus. The ignorant, as the Zayar goes on to imply, draw down from their child a soul of a lower level, which seems to indicate that an action occurring in this physical world can in fact affect the soul's level. Not so, declares the Alter Rebbe. The Zayar is not referring to the soul at all, but to the soul's spiritual garment as follows. This is because no nefesh, roch and neshama, is without a garment which stems from the nefesh of its father, and mother's essence. 
All the commandments that it fulfills are influenced by that garment. It is through this, gov- it is through this garment that the soul achieves its ability to affect the body and to perform the commandments involved, involving physical matters. Even the benevolence that flows to one from heaven is all given through that garment because the soul is so strongly bound up with this garment. The Zaire refers to the garment in this, con- in this context as the person's soul. Now, if the person sacrifices himself, he will bring forth a holy garment for the neshama of his child, thereby enabling the child to serve God more, more readily. However great his soul may be, it still needs the father's sanctification at the time of intercourse. But the soul itself, as, as distinct from its garment, is not affected by the parent's sanctification. In fact, it sometimes happens that the soul of an infinitely lofty person comes to be the son of an ignoble and lowly person. All this has been explained by Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory in the Kute Taira on Parshas Vayera and in Taime Amitzvah on Parshas Bereshis. Thus, the physical world of which the parents are a part can in no way affect the soul's spiritual rank. Even, even the statements of the Zayar, that the essential factor regarding the state of the soul, is the holy manner of conduct during sexual union pertains only to the soul's garment. The soul itself, with all its various levels, emanates from above. Thank you very much for listening. That was quite a long one. I think I shall stop for now because I'm getting tired. I shall, if I am able to, I will continue in a second podcast later tonight.